So we are continuing in our series in 2 Timothy this morning, titled Guarding the Gospel. And we come to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. This can be found beginning on page 995 in your pew Bible. Good. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. Hear now the eternal living Word of God. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearer. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone whose names who names the name of the Lord, depart from iniquity. And so I recently decided to get healthier. Yesterday. I decided this yesterday. And, you know, when you're thinking about getting healthier, there's things you need to focus on. We have to focus on certain things that you have to do. What exercise should you be doing? You can go for walks, you can go for runs, you can play a sport, you can go to the gym, you can uh, follow along in a workout video. And when it comes to eating, you can focus on eating healthier foods. What good food choices can you make? Eating more natural foods, eating fruits and vegetables, eating more protein and so on. But for healthy eating, you also should focus on what foods to avoid. Avoiding eating too much candy or eating too much ice cream or fried food or processed foods in general. So it's good to focus on the positive things, what are good foods to eat and good things to do, but it's also helpful to focus on the things you need to avoid. And so far in our series in 2 Timothy, Paul has been telling Timothy what much of what he has to do in order to guard the gospel. He has to be willing to suffer for the gospel. He has to be willing to communicate the whole truth of the gospel. He has to raise up godly men to teach the gospel to the next generation. He has to cultivate in himself single-mindedness, determination, and a good work ethic. He has to remember the gospel of Jesus itself, remember the elect, remember the faithfulness of God, and all of this in order to endure in his task in guarding the gospel. And now this week, Paul switches focus to false teachers that were affecting the church in Ephesus where Timothy was the pastor. And Paul charges Timothy to combat these heresies that are influencing the church. But he doesn't just tell him to go out there and just say that these people are wrong. Paul commands Timothy in his overall use of words and how he is to differ from the false teachers. 
And so for all of us, Paul gives three ways that we are to speak and three ways that we are to avoid speaking in guarding the gospel. First, we need to remind people of the gospel. And we are to avoid useless arguments. Second, handle the word of God correctly and avoid irreverent talk. And third, speak godly language or godly words and avoid sinful language. In the paragraph before our passage, in the last sermon I preached in this series, uh, in verses 8 to 13 of chapter 2, Paul reminds Timothy of certain realities about God, specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. He encourages Timothy to remember that Jesus is risen from the dead, that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of David, And in doing so, he's really calling Timothy to remember the whole of the gospel. And he reminds Timothy that all the suffering that Paul endures himself is for the sake of the elect. That those chosen by God for salvation may receive that salvation that they've been elected to. And he also reminds Timothy of the faithfulness of God. That through all of us, that though all of us, including Timothy have moments of weakness and unfaithfulness. God is faithful, and God will see his people through until the end. And so now, in turn, Paul is charging Timothy to remind God's people of these things. Paul writes in verse 14, Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearer. So Paul's main focus in this upcoming passage, in these verses we have today, is the false teachers that were affecting the church in Ephesus. He covers them much more in 1 Timothy, but now he addresses them briefly here. And he's telling Timothy how he can counter them. And that begins with Timothy reminding the people in Ephesus of the truth of Jesus Christ. Remind the people about the resurrection of of Jesus and about the future resurrection of believers to come. Remind the people that Jesus is the Christ. He is the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament, the promises made to Abraham, Moses, David, and all through the prophets. The word remind here in the Greek actually means to keep reminding repeatedly. The truths of the gospel need to be taught over and over again. The fundamentals of the faith are to be restated frequently. And this is an act of guarding the gospel. And for Timothy, it's to protect his people from the false teachings that were circulating the church. And so for us, this is our first reminder, or the first way, actually, we are to speak in guarding the gospel. We are to remind people of the gospel. So last week, we were instructed by God's Word to remember the gospel ourselves, to encourage us in suffering. Remember the resurrection. Remember Jesus the Messiah, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. And it should have an effect on all of our lives. Now we see that we should be reminding others. Paul's command is primarily for ministers of the gospel. But everyone can and should remind people of the gospel of the truths about Jesus Christ. And we should do so in love, in patience, 
in grace. It's not that we should be out on the street with a bullhorn. Usually, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. You need to step into someone's life. Come alongside them and love them. Grieve with them. Care for them. Then they'll be more open to the truths of the Gospel. And for those that already are Christians, the Gospel is a constant reminder of the glory, love, grace, and mercy of God for broken sinners. Even those who are already saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But in addition to telling Timothy to remind people of these truths, Paul also commands Timothy to charge the people before God not to quarrel about words. Literally, this is translated as not to have word fights, which he says does no good but only ruins the hearer. Petty word fights are good for nothing. They harm both the speaker and the hearer. Paul's referring to arguing about things that are meaningless or useless. Really, he's talking about fighting over things that are not of eternal significance. Paul himself fought very much against heretics. If someone was undermining the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's justification by faith alone or many other doctrines, Paul clearly would argue with them. What he's talking about is things that are not doctrinal. Things that are not serious. I'm sure most of us have seen pastors, theologians, even lay people get into heated arguments over theological minutiae or many other things. And this is our first type of speech to avoid. Useless arguments. One pastor and author, Daniel Doriani, tells about a time he was speaking at a conference and a man accosted him between talks for failing to present the holiness of God in his first two lectures. And Doriani said he was surprised because his talk was focused on God's justice, faithfulness, love, and mercy. And he says they were talking past each other for a while until he guessed that this man had recently read a popular book on God's holiness. And so he asked him, are you saying that I need to use the exact phrase, the holiness of God, in every talk, and I dishonor God if I don't? And the man smiled with satisfaction. Exactly. But it can get worse than that. Unfortunately, the divide in our country and the inflammatory rhetoric of politicians and the media has an effect on the way people can talk to each other in the church. There's divide in, on many things. Uh, way things need to be worded or addressed, being strong in the culture, or so many other things. And there's not just disagreement, there's vehement disagreement. And it's often not about doctrine. Nowadays, people in the church who completely agree on doctrine can get into heated arguments about other issues. And one thing a lot of people don't often realize is you can be correct in the facts that you're speaking about, but go about it in completely the wrong way. You're not to be in someone's face yelling at them. You're not to treat them like they're stupid or be arrogant or condescending. All of these things are wrong. You shouldn't be in arguments all the time. You have to show grace, love, and mercy of Jesus Christ to people even if you disagree with them, even when they're wrong. It's not worth it to argue about some things. It can often be harmful. We don't always have to prove that we're right. Rubbing it in and saying, I told you so, when someone's wrong. 
Avoiding useless arguments is avoiding word fights about things that don't advance the gospel. Now, we should debate people about things. We should have discussions about things in the culture, hot-button issues, but we're to do so in love, not in a screaming match, not in a heated argument. Sometimes we need to just let things go for the moment, need to consider the person, the humanity that we're dealing with, not lose risking them for the more important truths of Jesus Christ and the gospel. So we shouldn't really just be out to win arguments at the sake of losing people. You're to win people to Christ. You're to be an example of the love of Christ to them. So there is a time to be clear and to not back down. When we're dealing with the essential truths of God and and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there is a time that we need to just be loving. And everything we do should be with an attitude of grace and love that is in the same Jesus Christ. But some people just love winning arguments, and they do so at any cost. I've seen people that will even bend the truth and not even realize they're doing it in order because they're so focused on winning an argument. Now, it doesn't mean telling people what they want to hear. That's not what I'm saying at all. It means speaking the truth in love. And that may mean avoiding arguments that hurt people, that it hurt the advancement of the gospel rather than help it. So Paul continues after this to instruct Timothy on what he needs to do to combat these false teachers. Starting in verse 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. So instead of quarreling, Timothy is commanded, do your best. Uh, This is also translated as spare no effort. It means put your all into this. Timothy is to put every effort forward to present himself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And the way he is to do that is by rightly handling the word of truth. That is, the rightly handling the gospel and the word of God that is contained in. And this is our second way we are to speak in guarding the gospel. We are to handle the word of God correctly. And really this applies to anyone who teaches the Bible in any way, primarily pastors, preachers, but also elders, Bible study teachers, Sunday school teachers, parents teaching the Bible to their children. If you're teaching the Bible to someone, even if you're speaking about the Bible or the gospel, it must be done so rightly, correctly. Rightly handling comes from the Greek word ortho, or straight, where we get orthodoxy, orthopraxy. It means to depart the Word of God without deviation, straight, undiluted. With preachers specifically, there are so many ways that this doesn't happen. When a preacher reads a text at the beginning of the sermon, but then preaches a sermon that has nothing to do with that text, it's like uh, the national anthem at the beginning of a football game. It's said at the beginning, and then it's never heard again for the rest of the sermon. But it's not just preachers who fall into this trap. Anyone who teaches the Bible can take it out of context 
You have to consider the, the sentences and paragraphs around the verse that you're dealing with. Or you can take it out of the historical context. Sadly, people will use the Bible to advance their own ideas. But ultimately, we're to do the work necessary to understand the text that we're preaching or teaching on properly, to communicate the Word of God rightly, correctly. We're to make an effort not to fall into the many errors of teaching the Bible or handling the Word of God that are common. But Paul follows this with a command of what Timothy should avoid. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Paul's giving Timothy a blueprint of how not to be like the false teachers he's dealing with. Present yourself as a worker approved by God by rightly handling the word of truth and avoid irreverent babble or or godless chatter. Timothy's to avoid worthless, even profane talk. Talk that is devoid of Christ or the Spirit of Christ. The Christian faith is intertwined with verbal communication. How you speak and, how you, and the words you use matter. Irreverent babble happens when someone is not concerned with honoring God in their speech. And Paul gives two reasons to avoid such talk. One reason is that it will lead to more and more ungodliness. The ungodly talk will increase ungodly behavior. Ungodliness in speech leads to ungodliness in thought and action. And by going down this path, the ungodly speakers will increase. They will become more and more involved in ungodliness in their life. And another reason is that it will spread like gangrene. The irreverent babble of the false teachers doesn't only affect them. It will spread like an infectious disease. The imagery here is eating away or or destroying the life of the church. And so, Timothy is dealing with two different teachings within his church. There's the apostle, uh, the apostolic teaching of Paul and his disciples, which includes Timothy himself. And then there's those that are teaching something different concerning Jesus. And Paul is warning that the false teaching isn't stagnant. It actually spreads like a disease. And so anyone who is teaching the Word of God is crucial it's handled rightly. Our words matter. And especially as teachers of the Word of God, but also as Christians. The task of guarding the Gospel is primarily about the words you use. There are words of life. The words of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Sound, straightforward teaching of the Gospel. And the Word of God, this is healthy and true. But there's false, deceptive, ungodly teaching that is an infection. And it will spread increasing ungodliness throughout the church. And the remedy for this is teachers rightly handling the Word of God. The Holy Spirit works through the truth of God's Word in the hearts of His people. He works through godly teachers of the Bible and the Gospel. This is how you fight against heresy, by teaching the truth day in and day out, consistently speaking the truth about Jesus Christ in love. One pastor said we should be preaching the Bible so often that it's boring, that people have heard it so many times that because they, we don't want them to know anything else. And this is how we are to guard the gospel. 
from infectious spread of false teachings. Now, Paul goes on to name specifically some of the false teachers there, those whose irreverent babble was spreading like gangrene. He says in verse 17, Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. And so the interesting thing about these two men, is says, they swerved from the faith. They went in a different direction. They had the truth, and they started teaching something else. And unfortunately, this is pretty common throughout church history. People who once were teaching the truth of God's Word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, going in a different direction, becoming apostates. And it happens usually through a gradual process where where these teachers go further and further from the truth of the gospel in their teaching, and eventually it comes to the point that what they're teaching is unrecognizable from what they once believed. And Paul mentions the specific heresy of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They were saying that the resurrection has already happened. And so this isn't referring to the resurrection of Jesus, which has already happened. This is a false teaching about the nature of the resurrection for believers in Jesus Christ. The first century had a problem with some people wrongly believing that the full resurrection was only going to be spiritual. Therefore, it had already happened. They were all now in the full consummation of God's kingdom. That believers were now already enjoying the full benefits of God. And then this was usually attached to this hedonistic teaching that that said, your soul is already saved, so live however you want. Since there was no future resurrection of the body, what you do with your body doesn't matter. And so this also included this denial of the future resurrection of believers. And Paul fought against this same heresy in his first letter to the Corinthians. In there, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul argues that denying the future resurrection of believers actually has a domino effect to the point that you're ultimately denying the Christian faith as a whole. And this idea of rejecting physical resurrections isn't a problem only in the first century. Our modern culture that says science explains everything, that denies things that can't be proven by the scientific method, And so as for the specific bodily resurrection of Jesus, there are even many who claim to be Christians that deny outright that Jesus rose from the dead. Unbelievably so, there are theologians, even pastors, that deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so to guard the gospel, the full truth of God's word must be taught. And this includes the full bodily resurrection of all who believe in Jesus Christ. To deny this is to deny the resurrection of Jesus himself because they are inextricably linked. Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruit of all who are in him. And that our future resurrection is guaranteed and consummated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it becomes pretty clear why Paul said these false teachers are upsetting the faith of some. This teaching was having an effect on the faith of some of the believers in Ephesus. It was leading to ungodliness. It was spreading. And so false teaching can spread, and today it probably spreads faster than ever. 
There are whole seminaries that get taken over by it, and then the seminary graduates go out, and whole denominations can be taken by it. But it will never overcome the truth. The Word of God will continue to grow. The true gospel of Jesus Christ will continue to advance. As Jesus himself said to Peter in Matthew 16, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The apostolic teaching and the true gospel of Jesus Christ, taught by Peter and Paul and Jesus himself, will prevail. Because Christ himself is building it, and he is guarding it through his church. As Paul says in verse 19, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul now confirms that although this false teaching is dangerous and it can spread like gangrene, God's firm foundation stands. The prophet Isaiah spoke of a stone, a cornerstone, that is the foundation of God. That is Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that regardless of what these false teachers say and do and what effects they seem to have, Jesus Christ and His gospel are real. And they are the foundation for what God has built, is building, and will continue to build in and through His church. And the seal of this he says, is that the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So in ancient times, the seal on a letter validated the letter's integrity. A royal seal on a letter marked that this letter was from the king. And they would take a piece of wax and melt it, and the king had it on his ring, and they would put a seal that showed which king it was coming from and validated that it was his. And so Paul is showing us two truths of God's people that are the seal of this unshakable foundation in Jesus Christ. So one is that the Lord knows those who are His. There are growing defections and challenges to the truth in Ephesus that Timothy and Paul are dealing with. And now people in the church may have trouble deciding who to believe. Who is really from God? Who has the truth on their side? Is it Paul and Timothy? Or is it Hymenaeus and Philetus? But despite this problem in the church, God himself is not deceived. God knows exactly who his people are. He knows who is speaking the truth. And Paul here with this statement is alluding to an event that happened in Numbers chapter 16. In this event, there was a man named Korah. And he led a rebellion against Moses and Moses' leadership. He, he, it was an effort to take over the priesthood. And the rebellious leaders said to Moses and Aaron, You've gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Then Moses fell down on his face before God, and he said to Korah and the leadership of the rebellion, In the morning... The Lord will show who is His and who is holy and will bring them near to Him. And God's response was to destroy Korah and those who were with him, confirming the leadership of Moses. Paul's point is that just as God had confirmed Moses was His chosen leader 
and that those opposing him were ultimately opposing God. God will do the same with those who oppose Timothy in Ephesus. Timothy needs to remain true to the gospel and the word of God and not fear false teachers or even the reactions of the people. But another truth he gives about the seal of God's people is let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. At that moment of truth in Numbers 16, when the Lord destroyed Korah and the rebellion, he ordered Moses and the rest of the congregation to distance themselves from the tents of Korah and the others. And so then after Moses prophesied, the earth split apart like a great mouth and swallowed their tents and their livestock and their family, every trace of them. And so the Lord validated that he knows who are his. And those who are his chosen leaders are known by God himself. And so in here we see this duty of God's people, those that have been chosen by God, to separate ourselves from iniquity. Paul wants Timothy to separate not only from the false teachers, but from their practices, even the words that they're speaking. So as we speak of the importance of words in guarding the gospel, we are to remind people of the gospel, to avoid useless arguments, to handle the word of God correctly, avoid irreverent talk. And now our third way to speak and to avoid speaking is to speak godly language and to avoid sinful language. Really, this is a summary of the whole message. By godly language, or godly speak, I mean speak in ways, and speak words that glorify God in a manner that glorifies God. Speak the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. Avoid arguments over other things, lesser things. Avoid confrontational conversations and things that don't matter in an eternal sense. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a truth with eternal consequences. Many of the things we argue about are often temporary. We are to correctly handle the word of God, teaching the truth straight from the Bible, not twisting it or distorting it. Avoid irreverent talk. Avoid talk of the godless or the profane. I once had a conversation with a pastor. And in this conversation, the whole time, he just bashed another pastor. He was constantly gossiping him, tearing him down. He even used curse words. He said the F word more than once in the conversation. It was quite unbelievable. And it was quite sinful. It wasn't glorifying God at all. It was actually disgracing the name of God. And it's this kind of sinful speech you need to avoid. Gossiping, foul language, crude jokes, tearing people down but as well as false teaching, the distortions of the gospel, distortions of Jesus himself. All these things that are not becoming of the people of God. Choose your words wisely. Speak words that glorify God. Avoid sinning in your speech. Avoid false teachings about Jesus and his gospel. Remind people of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Speak in a way that separates you from those who are not God's people. Avoid sin. And so we know that words matter because God created all things of nothing by the power of His Word. The infinite, eternal, all-powerful Creator of all things wanted to be with His people. 
And so we read at the beginning of John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to say that the Word became flesh. The Word is a person, the eternal Son of God. And He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and with Him not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. The power that spoke creation into existence is the Lord Jesus Christ, and all who believe in Him and the power of His Word have life. Eternal life depends on what you believe about Jesus Christ. Believe that He is God in the flesh, sent to save humanity from our sin. That He lived the perfect life you could never live, died the death you can deserve. He rose from the grave, solidifying his defeat of death, confirming that life exists in him. These words matter more than any other words. Eternity hangs in the balance. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, eternal life, and glorification for all who believe in him. Guarding the gospel means holding on to the truth of these words, the truth about the Word incarnate, Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the lost, who brings the, life to dead, brings the dead to life through the power of His Word. And so, remember the truths of Jesus Christ yourselves. Continue to remind others of this. Avoid arguments. Avoid irreverent talk. And speak godliness, God-glorifying words and language into the life of others. Avoiding the sinfulness that is so common of all those around us. Because God knows who are His people. And He will continue to conform you into the image of His Son. But it's your duty to put sinfulness behind you. Glorifying God in your thoughts, in your actions, and in your words. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to glorify you in our hearts, in our minds, and with our words. We know that true life is only in you, that Jesus Christ, your Son, is the truth, that He is the Word incarnate, that our only hope in life and in death is in Him. Help us to not only remember these truths ourselves, but to remind others in our words, our actions, and in our life. Help us to avoid useless arguments. Help us to avoid irreverent talk. Avoid sinful language. But glorify you and your Son with everything we say and everything we do. In His precious name we pray. Amen.